Today's episode is brought to you by Slater's 5050 and The Brew Bar. The Everything's Equal podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon, and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. <laughs> Those who know, know Tom, all right? Yeah. Now, that's in reference to Die Hard 2, Die Harder, but today we're talking about Die Hard with a Vengeance, the 1995 sequel. Uh, John McTiernan is back. My name is Michael Schantz. I'm of the How Dare You Awards. With me, talking about Die Hard today. We got Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. What have you got for us, Tom? You can stick your well-laid plans up your well-laid ass. <laughs> I always look forward. I'm always wrong. I never know which one you're going to go with. Uh, it's just whatever jumps out at me. Uh, and it's always the strangest line. All right. Well, today we're talking about Die Hard with a Vengeance. This was a 1995 movie, like I said. This, again, just like Die Hard 2, the seventh highest grossing movie. So Die Hard, 1990, the seventh highest grossing movie. 1995, the seventh highest grossing movie. <laughs> they really cornered that very limited box they office did, market. Man. This movie had a budget of $90 million, Tom. They spent every penny of it. It made $100 million in the U.S., but made 366 worldwide. Mm. This was, you know, a huge movie overseas. I feel like this movie doesn't get a lot of love in the USA. Like, most people think of it as the weakest of the sequels. I think that's pure nonsense. That is com- that is complete nonsense. You know what I think the biggest problem might be? And, I, and I'm saying this with all seriousness. It sounds like a joke. I think the aspect ratio of this movie is too wide for most people's TVs. <laughs> oh, man. Because even I had a moment where I was like... Oh, if I got to go to 4-3, is that going to help? I don't want bars at the side. What am I... <laughs> I had a good, a good 20 minutes of that at the beginning of the movie. And I think most people are just like, you know what? I'm just going I'm, to... I'm, I want to watch something where, where people's faces are in proportion. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it, it, so... is, it is very, very unfairly maligned. And I'm going to go as far as to say, I think the first half of this movie is... Uh, is top to I think the first the half of this movie is perfect. The, yeah. Of the franchise, certainly of the sequels. Yeah, it's so good. It is. There is a kind of momentum, and I don't quite know where it's coming from because it's been five years since the last Die Hard. So there shouldn't right. be any momentum at all. That's but another it, thing for me. Like, I remember seeing a preview for this movie maybe the day before it came out, and I was like, whoa, a Die Hard sequel? <laughs> like, it came yeah. out of nowhere. I was like, oh, I'm excited. And I, you know, I remember seeing it and just thinking, that's a good movie. Like, and this movie tried to do more than the other movies. This movie had something to say about race and about how the police police the neighborhoods that they're in and that kind of thing. It It's, it's a real, you know, I, I don't, yeah, between Die Hard and Die Hard 2 Die Harder, I don't get the sense of like, 
you know, maybe there were like cataclysmic social changes between those two movies, but you don't get a sense of them in Die Hard no. 2. Here you get a sense. Time has passed. Shit has gone down in America. Yeah. Everything well, and not is only that, but shit has gone down in John McClane's life. What was that? Sorry, go ahead. Every single encounter comes down to racial tension. Yes. Yeah. Be- between it, it is in it is insane, and I you know I don't think you know maybe maybe part of the reason that the people are not fond of this movie is that it it it, it brings up some uncomfortable truths. I don't know if it necessarily deals well, with it in the right way. Well, if there's one thing we yeah, if there's one thing we've learned about white people, it's that they don't like to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so maybe that's the answer. That might be the key of, oh, this makes me feel a little oogie. I, I mean, I, do I have to re, you know, do I have to actually think about my own thoughts and feelings about race? I'd rather not. This movie's terrible. <laughs> like, we, I it mean, has that it... feeling. But to me, this movie is so ambitious compared to the other movies in that way. Yeah, you know, it's there's a sense of I, I think, you know, that there's a there's a sense that both the the Hollywood movies have changed mm-hmm. and American society's changed and you get that. Uh, but rather than that, and this is this is where uh Die Hard four point excels to me as well, is it's like rather than them backing away from that and trying to be kind of uh anachronistic they go with the flow when it comes to, you know, movies are different now, people are different now, and we're going to acknowledge all of that. We are going to confront it head on. And boy, do they confront it head on. Right, yeah. The first half of this movie is like, you know, um, John Singleton Tarantino. Right, but... Hybrid, in terms of how it's made, in terms of what it's the kinds of issues it's talking about. But that's like, I disagree a little bit. Like, to me, it has that sensibility, but it still it still has that really slick kind of look to it that you have with most movies directed by John McTiernan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's... I mean, this is coming off the back of... Right off the back of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And... Yeah, not necessarily in Tarantino's visual style, but, you know, there's a sense that Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson have gone through the Tarantino machine, and this is well, them yeah, coming it's... out the other side. Yeah, there is a sense that, that Tarantino kind of changed the world in that way, or or not the world, but, you know, like the movie world, and what people, it's like, what would make the movie get greenlit? A, yeah, a little bit, and I had that thought too, but what it does for, like, those two actors coming off that movie, they are just writing, it feels like the the, the Pulp Fiction never ended. You know, they right, gave yeah. what are arguably, like, career best performances there, and it, this feels like the tail end of that, that they are just, that, you know, that they are just carrying on that, um, that screen brilliance into yeah. this movie. I mean... They do not miss a step in the first half of this movie in their performances. No, I agree. Um, and I don't think it's talked about nearly enough about, uh, you know, and, you know, maybe when you take the movie in in total, um, that's why it changes. But the first half of this movie is just, just like beat for beat. It's so good. There's also, I mean, like, you, 
I think, you know, sequels live or die by the the kind of choices they make early on about what they're going to do to the characters that we already know. Well, I was just going to say the same thing because this movie... It's like at times they're trying to make too much of a joke out of it. But mm. there's some dark stuff going on with the character oh, of John yeah. McClane himself, you know. And I feel like the writer probably wanted more of that in it. The idea of him actually being an alcoholic, <laughs> of him kind of hitting bottom with his marriage and his family and all of that. Yeah. And it's talked about and it's referenced, but more in a comic relief sort of way. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it is like the, uh, the fact that he's hung over is kind of like the running gag yeah. of the of the movie. So I get that. But it is, I, I think in that the first time you see John, John McClane and, you know, we were talking about, you know, Die Hard 2. It's, it's uh, Bruce Willis from Moonlighting. Yeah, he's like Moonlighting and he's a family man. And yeah. They're and so here, in love. You know, and... he's, we, we, we have a, t- we, we're starting to get this. Um, rough-edged action hero, right? I mean, he doesn't have to grow into that anymore. He's already in a vest, right, yeah. because because he just got dragged out of bed, right? <laughs> and he's hung over. He's immediately in his tank top. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just think it's oh man, it is. It's that scene in the truck where they they first pull it. You know, they they and he realize the cops, and he realized that he's gonna have to play some weird. German guys mind games to avoid a bomb going off and that they're, they're I don't know if it's the direction that scene or the performances they are looking at each other like this is the worst possible time for this to be happening yeah I have no faith in in either it, of you yeah like, I, you know, yeah it's definitely in the performances of like this is the last guy we want um and trying I, I think, to help us you know, and, and why I did think, he have know, to ask first, for McClane? First time we really get a, like a procedural drama uh, in a Die Hard. Before we right. kind of had uniform cops, security guards, that kind of thing. Now it's like, um, you know, we're talking about New York detectives. You know that the uh, we're in the the world of NYPD Blue or Homicide. Um, yeah, totally. And it, 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 it's and those shifts in, you know, from going from John as the hero to the to the anti-hero, essentially. He's he really also is, yeah. astoundingly racist. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is something, you know, I, I, I never I don't know. No, no, I never clocked it because I knew that all the banter between him and Sam Jackson was based around this. But I never got the sense of like, it's like, oh, he's saying a lot of racist shit to Zeus. Zeus is saying a lot of racist shit back, but uh, he's the guy with power. <laughs> right, exactly. He's the, the white man. Yes. Yeah. And it's just like, I, you know... The, but that's a... an interesting moment later in the movie when Bruce Willis says, you don't like me because you're racist. <laughs> and the look on Sam Jackson's face is so perfect. And you know he he lies like, about what white man? He <laughs> lies about the you know about uh, the about a bomb being in a black area of the city to make him right to make him join to him. make this and citizen... that is a wonderful moment of like you know they're really they're really chipping away at John McClane and you know what he actually represents at this point in history is not a great thing. It's not a thing that we're supposed to necessarily admire in the way that we did 
five. Well, ten to years me, ago. that's front and center in the last sequel, but we'll get there when we get there. But, um, you know, talking about this movie, you know, the first thing he does or is made to do is stand in Harlem with the sign with the N word on it. I mean, holy shit. Yeah, not even not even the music from Curb Your Enthusiasm could make this a less comfortable moment. Right. Of cinema. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Whole... you, oh man, it's 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 oh god, it just kind of I'm sweating just thinking about it. Do you, you know the production story of them having to when they were they were filming on location in Harlem? I know he couldn't. The word wasn't there. It had to be added digitally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> which just which just goes to show how. I think how closely you're brushing against real uh, yeah, social right. problems that are happening on a daily basis in and around American cities. Absolutely. And it's it's a it's a bold move. I think I think you know it is it is it is you know that they're they're it's they're being exploitative as well. Um, that's fair to say, but uh, I think at least in those. In the first half of the film, there is, this is a movie with a social conscience, or at least it's saying, you know, we we can't make the same kind of diehard movie that we did before, right? And and for all its later faults, the series has always kind of proceeded with that idea in mind that we're going to change with the times, whether that's the kind of movies that are being made or what's going on in society, we are going to shift with that. Yeah, and yeah, it works remarkably fair. well, I think here, um, uh, for you know, for a good chunk of this movie. Well, we're just starting to get into it, so let me ask you about this. We've got Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Uh, he is he is our baddie in this movie. Yeah, and we're bringing back a Gruber, and I want to know what you think about that because. You know, I'm of two minds. Yes. Um, me too. One is that feels like a very sequelitis kind of thing to do, uh, is to bring back a family member. But I think it works in this movie. Um, I like that they do it, and despite the fact that even Jeremy Irons has a hair, um, his haircut is what he calls midlife crisis haircut. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yet, everything about him to me makes the movie work, including the idea that you never even see him until 50 minutes into the movie. Well, that's the part of the movie that I really like. And I think I think after that, it becomes more difficult to accept him. I I mean, first of all, you know, aside from from, um, you know, Jeremy Irons, we this is, again, something we've never seen in a in a diehard. This guy, this menacing guy on a phone giving them riddles. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, not to put too fine a point on it. This is the this is a, a kind of these these are action movies. You don't expect to be doing math and like, you know, um puzzles. Correct. And it's, you know, it carries it it carries the first half of this movie with this game playing idea them rushing around New York. There's a different game in in other spots. Uh, it makes it more of a detective type film. Well, like you said, more procedural. And it's so beautifully executed. I really regret him not being unseen for the entirety of the movie. <laughs> I think I he's think you so would effective think differently. in that, in it, that I, role. I, I think you would think differently if they actually did that. I mean, it's... 
it's such a. I mean, it, it, it's hard because it's part of the story that it's a big anticlimax when you know you actually see him and he's just going, "Oh yes, I'm scared." German guy on the phone, okay, and then he goes and does his real stuff. Right. That's part of the story, so you kind of you do have to do that. But I'm like. I like this red herring storyline way more than what is actually really happening. <laughs> well, we've talked about how in the first movie they're, you know, they're they're accepted as terrorists when they're actually thieves. In the second movie, they are believed to be thieves who are actually terrorists. Yes. In this movie, they're both. In this movie, they They finally they're come both together. And neither. And some of them are, some of them aren't. I have no fucking idea what the original plan was and what it became. Uh, and that's that for me is one of the biggest weaknesses of this movie. Like, I I kind of wanted them to just decide: is this does the you know? It's like I I wanted I wanted to know all I wanted to know at the end of the movie. You know, double and triple crosses aside, I don't care about this other guy who thought they were all terrorists but was actually you know was disappointed to find out they were thieves i I don't care about it lurch was disappointed it's like does this guy like his brother and i did not get a clear answer i do not get a clear answer either yes i know what does he feel about alan rickman that is all i wanted to know and we never get a definitive answer on that and that's a kind of I just think, you know, the, the second half of the movie is so messy that I just wanted a clear answer on that. Instead, I get Jeremy Irons eating a hard-boiled egg. I mean, <laughs> that's not what I want. But um, I take nothing away from him. His his American accent is even worse than Alan Rickman, which I didn't think was possible, but it is. Um, and I think... I Come think, on, you don't you know, love him saying, that, holy Toledo. <laughs> knowing that he is playing a role in that first half of the movie does make it better. I'm just, I just don't think what they replaced it with in the reality of the movie is strong enough to to carry that second half of the movie. Oh, uh, well, I. But that's not completely... on Jeremy Irons. No, no, no. All right, we're just getting started here. We've got more to talk about with Die Hard with a Vengeance. We're going to take a quick commercial break, ladies and gentlemen. Catch us on the flip side. We'll be back in a moment. Look, people, we're living in strange times. We know that, don't we? Of course we do. People don't even know what to do with themselves. We're getting stir-crazy. Well, get outside and get yourself some great food, I say. You need to go to Slater's 5050 and Point Loma's Liberty Station. It's time to treat yourself to booze, to beer, to burgers, and more. They have their full menu, people. Their full menu, I say. How many restaurants do you know that are doing that? Most places are doing a quarter of their menu, probably. Some might be doing a half. Maybe a few have got three quarters of a menu. But Slater's 5050 has their full menu including their signature 50-50 patty. It's half ground beef. It's half ground bacon. It's 100% delicious. What more could you possibly ask? Worried about social distancing? Well, it is in place, people. Tables are separated, and the staff will always be seen wearing masks. You're out of excuses. Get off your keister and come on down to Liberty Station's own Slater's 50-50. 
indoor dining available, outdoor dining available. Bring the family, bring your dog, come enjoy the normal again. Good day to you. I said good day. And we're back. We are here, Tom and I, talking about the 1995 movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, Tom, we've talked about Mm. the racial component to this movie. We've talked about the kind of anti-hero that John McClane has become. Mm. Uh, We've gotten into Jeremy Irons. Um, What do you think about bringing a Gruber back? Do you like that? Do you like the idea of them bringing back this? Or is that too much of a like a sequelitis trope to you or? Well, it's it's kind of it's nice how it works in the in the context of the series, um, because it reminds unlike Die Hard 2, this needs to be John McClane, because even Uh if even if he's not out for revenge and there's a strong possibility that he's not in any way, shape, or form. Right, we don't know <laughs> that, that that his that his um, his brother having been killed by John is 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 just he's it's just an opportunity for him to play this game. It's just a, a happy accident. But yeah, is it more of a ruse just so he can get yeah, what he wants? Yeah, but it, but plot wise, it means that it has to be John McClane. So there's a reason why he's thrown back into another high Correct. stakes yeah, of course. action disaster situation. I'll tell you the one thing. The one thing that almost completely sells me on it is the choice by John McTiernan when one of the FBI guys kind of shows him the picture, hmm. and then he realizes he's you know, do you know the name Gruber or whatever it is he says. And then you see the shot of Alan Rickman, and like it's like in McLean's mind's eye. Yeah, this is what he sees: him falling, you know. And then the shot of him kind of dawning on him: okay, I get everything that's happening now and why it's happening. I think is great. It's so good. I'm I'm against the choice in principle, but I remember I remember. Th- Come on, it works. Well, I think I think reusing footage from previous movies in a sequel is just a bad road to go down. It never ends well. But if you are gonna do it, that's this is how to do it, right? That that second long flash, which as you say is like POV, yeah, kind of a point of view sort of shot. I think it's it's brilliantly done for what it is, even though what it is is uh, is not a good Ill-advised. thing for sequel to be doing. <laughs> No, but I, I thought it was great. And I, I love the fact that they referred to what happened at Nagasaki as that thing in the building in L.A. Yeah. Like, it's, it's another Nakatomi, great sense of, like, Nakatomi, nobody not on Nagasaki. the East Coast gives a shit about what went down there. <laughs> <laughs> they could, you know, they could give two fucks about this kind of uh, high-tech L.A. heist. You no, know, yeah. and I think that's beautifully done. So... Kind of hitting on what we've been talking about. Where does this movie go wrong for you? What, like, we know that we both like the the first half we think is great, or at least the first 50 minutes. Where does it start going off the rails? Is it the moment that Jeremy Irons is seen? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 the point at which I, I, certainly it all starts to kind of fall apart f- uh, in so many different ways for me. Okay, tell um, me how. Well... Well, first, so so we get a shift, a, a very clear shift in genre. We've gone from a, a movie about 
terrorism to a movie that is a heist movie. But the terrorist bit is just... It's partly because the, the first half establishes itself so well, you don't want it to go away. Okay. And it goes away. It goes away very quickly. And what but I think I, is... I stick with it in that way because for me, it was just a clever, as clever an idea for a heist as the first movie was. But it's more, less about the heist itself and more about the representation of the villains. They, I mean, we've never seen villains this broadly drawn before. They, I mean, they're, they're, they are, they're so cheesy and... And melodramatic in a way that that isn't isn't pleasant to me, and I I just don't I well, don't. Well, is get... that because John McTeer, like you know, we were talking about Die Hard two and how <laughs> melodramatic that movie is, but that's leaned into top to bottom with Rennie Harlan, like the directing, the choices of shots, the music, everything about it's melodramatic. Yeah. This it's not filmed in a way that makes you think documentary, but. It's just under that, you know what I mean, and so it's a different shooting style by John McTiernan. And so, is it that is is there that disconnect? There's that disconnect. I think as well, everything that that you, everything that I kind of enjoy about John and Zeus in the first half of the movie falls away very quickly. They become these kind of stumbling, bumbling fools very quickly. That like drive. They're riding around New York on kids' bikes. At one right, point, yeah. Later on in the movie, John McClane is at the is at the top of a, a like water blows out of a tunnel, and he's kind of riding the wave at the top. Right. Uh, elsewhere in the movie, there's a pancake syrup bomb. You know, com- comedy is the bread and butter of this franchise, but slapstick comedy is in a Die Hard is not a good thing. Yeah, I. I guess for me, it's you're right. But it's not intentionally slapstick. Oh, they don't know. realize that it's coming there, across there, as slapstick. A, there's a motif of singing in the rain in the on the on the soundtrack when water is rushing down the tunnel chasing John McCain. That's true. Truck. That's true. I can't take that away from you. <laughs> you're right. You know, and I just I think and but I agree what you I agree with you what you're saying about good intentions because I think part of what John McTiernan wants to do with the second half of the movie is kind of Hitchcockian. He wants uh-huh. to push push yeah. the suspenseful side of the of the thriller genre rather than the because the first half is so frenetic and so relentless. We yeah. don't we don't get to take a breath in the first half of the movie. So I think he is consciously slowing things down, but that is such a dangerous thing to do especially in a die hard which you know when we get to a good day to die hard we will see in force that you know when you when you have that nose dives dive in pace you almost get the same happening with the interest and the creativity of what you're doing mm-hmm. just kind of becomes a bit more lackluster right and i just i just found that and then you know i just can't at a certain point i can't follow the plot they keep Double crossing, triple crossing, double bluffing, triple bluffing. I don't think it's that hard to follow. Yeah, and then we we found, and then we find out that everything that John and Zeus have been doing for the hour, first hour of the movie is just a waste of time. What? Well, yeah. It's like, well, you know, that's that sucks. I was really enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to see some kids blown up, didn't you? You monster. 
You know, this this there in its defense, there are some nice kind of late additions character-wise. The truck driver, I don't know who that guy is, but he is phenomenal. Oh, he, but he should get an Academy Award for his performance in this movie. He's that good. And what's great as well is it plays with type. You expect him to be this kind of like sarcastic teamster, but he but is he's the guy who knows that knowledge file. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this repository of everything. He's the guy who knows everything. Chester A. Arthur as the twenty-first president of the United States. It's it's you know it's beautiful. And then and then there's the kind of fatigue syndrome of, you know, we're twenty minutes in the movie to go. We're just seeing the same scenario repeated again and again in not very interesting ways. Yeah, there is um, you know, and this happens, you know, a few times throughout the series where McLean is caught, and nobody just shoots him in the head. Well, we're going to try to be clever about it one last time. We're going to tie you to the bomb. Yeah. Essentially just to give you a chance to escape, you know? So it's got some some sequelitis, bad guy problems in that sense. And also, you know, like, even though, even though Holly is not killed off and the, uh, the idea of, you know, that, that they are just separated, then she's not dead, they're not divorced. There's always a sense that they could get back together. To me, what was great about that move at the beginning of the third film, it's like saying, this is not about family no, yeah, anymore. Yeah. This guy is out right. on his own. And so for them to kind of like half walk that back with him making the phone call, you know, I don't know if they were just like, if, if Bonnie Bedaley was like, I'm not doing this movie. I might do a one later right. on. Well, so let me ask you this. And they were like, let's let's keep our options open. But what I liked about what I liked about the 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 original choice to make him, you know, not a family man anymore and separated and take the family out of the equation for, temporarily uh-huh. is that you know it felt like what they do in Alien Three, where they were like, okay, we made Ripley part of a family. Let's, let's kill just him. Kill yeah. him, that kid and Bill. So Paxton. many people hate that. I like that about that movie, but we're not into that series. I'm not going to, I can't, I can't. No, no, but to me that was comparable. And so then walking it back and then making the call at the end of the movie, I would have been much more satisfied with, with the original idea of he forgets to call her again because he's a douche. (laughs) And his life is now more about high stakes hostage situations. That's just where his life went. Every yeah, few, every I, few I, years, he's got to kill would, some terrorists. That's, it's a little disappointing, you know, a little disappointing to kind of end on that now. Why the fuck they go to Canada in the so last this five is, this of the is, movie? I this is my biggest know. problem with this movie. Because I, you're not wrong about everything else you're saying. Like, up until that explosion and until, like, we start getting, I, I, st- I, I think I like it a little more than you do, this idea of the, you know, a reason for the bomb to go off where it went off so that they can have the heist. That feels like a throwback to the first movie that I can that I can kind of get behind, you know? The idea of McLean saying, um, you know, there's no gold on this this boat, you know, I know I know the I know the man, I know the family, you know, like I know the family. I like, I like that. that, yeah. But the idea to me that this movie goes to Canada, these two men are injured in a way like one of them has been shot in the leg. One of them is, <laughs> I mean, might not be able to use his arm. That's how much metal went into his shoulder. You know what I mean? They both just got exploded off of a boat, launched yeah. a half a mile away from it into the sea. 
And then somehow this cop from New York and a civilian from Harlem yes. are going to go to Canada to foil a crime is such complete bullshit and nonsense. It's it's like offensive. So yeah. And yet it does have that one great moment where the chopper's sitting there. He's got the M60 pointed right at him. He looks up at the box. Jeremy Irons <laughs> looks at the box because it's well-directed because it's John McTiernan. And yeah, say hello to your brother for me. You know, he's like, go, get out of here. <laughs> you know, and the thing explodes. It's great. But but that that's that moment would be a lot more impactful. If it if happened in New York. Or, sure whether he liked his brother or right? not. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, I wish he'd have said that. I don't care about that bastard. Right. Something, something. anything. Um, Another really unusual choice that I kind of like, that I don't know if I like or not, but it's just true, is there have been no children in a Die Hard. This movie's full of children. Yeah, chocked full of them. (laughs) Holy shit, there are a lot of children in this movie. (laughs) And what what is that? I mean, they're all in danger. I, this is something I think we'll get to talking about in the next movie, um, the next Die Hard. But this one of the things that struck me when I was watching Die Hard with a Vengeance, I've never thought about before, as this history has really caught up with this movie. This movie is a, like a pre nine eleven. Yeah, movie it is. Yeah, in terms of how it represents New York. Uh, and so was the sec. So was the second movie as well. So was sure. Die Hard too. You don't make jokes about planes dropping on the White House lawn after nine eleven. No, 9/11. no. And likewise here, there's so much of like New York under attack in a way that's not treated lightly, but it's not treated with the kind of gravity. Well, because you would have, you, you would have already had the first World Trade Center bombing. You know, in the parking lot underneath, that would have already happened. And the very right. beginning of this movie feels very much like that. I mean, it's kind of an incredible yeah. shot the way it starts. And you see, you have that great long shot of cars stopping and people getting out of their cars. I mean, it's like really a remarkable, fantastic shot. But so it harkens back to that first bombing, which was just a few years before that. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right in the sense of it, it, like none of that probably would be in it after 9-11. And you know, I'm not. I, I I'm not saying that <laughs> that they should become psychic and see how things are going to go. It's just from. It's just the uh, watching it now, and um, and it is something they definitely recognize. You know, four's relationship to three, in terms of acknowledging what's happened in between in the between, movies, is sure. almost as drastic as two to two to three. Yeah. You know, it's just the one is about, you know, we, 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 Rodney, you know, one is Rodney King. The other one is 9-11. Yeah. So we've got to do things differently. And it's, it's just, it's a really interesting viewing experience. And I just wonder how, you know, the, the, the use of children here is like both like small time criminals and these kind of like, you know, they're the moral center of the film, but they're also the immoral center of the (laughs) film. And that feels like a really nice, that's the part I like about it, is that they fight, you know, John and Zeus realize what's going on because a couple of punk kids have figured out that there's no cops anywhere in New York. Right, yeah. But that, but you know, we just wouldn't be able to touch on things that frivolously a few from a few years onwards. No, 
So just before we wrap up here, I'm curious, did you, do you know about the original ending for this movie? I do not. So I assume it was not the one in Canada. It was not. It was not in Canada. Um, I, I think it was just Germany. He, what? So what happens is you see Jeremy Irons uh, getting a coffee in a little place, I think in Germany. Bruce Willis shows huh. up. It turns out he reminds him that he was a cop. The aspirin that he gave him, he actually traced the batch to where it was made and then first put out, and it was put out at a pharmacy down the street from where he finds him. Mm. Um, but John McClane looks very kind of clean cut, and he looks put together. And so Gruber is, you know, he's like, you look good. And, and he mentions that he quit drinking. Mm. So you have this kind of, you know, the idea of, the idea that this character changed, but then it goes really dark because he takes out what he calls a Chinese rocket launcher, which looks like a miniature rocket launcher. And whatever directional thing that tells you which way is forward has been taken off. And he... Mike, Mike you, you're, not, you're, you're not responsible for making more sense of this than it already makes. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Just so... All right. I'm drawing it out. But essentially, he starts doing the Simon game with Simon. He starts asking him riddles. And he tells him, uh, you can just switch the thing any way you want. Point it wherever you want. And he finally gets a, a riddle wrong. And he thinks he's pointing it at Bruce. Takes a 50-50 shot. Hits fire. And kills himself with it. And Bruce walks off. Yeah, that's wow. Okay. My question to you is that a better ending? No, um, <laughs> only because I like I like that it brings back the whole Simon Says Riddle component. That's the part of the movie I love. But uh, but Bruce Willis, uh, um, sorry, John McClane is not good at that. Zeus is the one who's good at that. That's why you need him. Right. He's yeah. the brains of the operation. True. John would not be able to outwit. And maybe that's why they went against it. I think, I mean, I also, I guess this is what, a few days later or uh, might a week even be later, weeks, month yeah. later? Well, that doesn't, that, that doesn't help things. The, the, the time frame, at least they kept it within that 24 hour time frame in the, in, in the, the original. Movie. Yeah. Cause that, because that, that really helps the diehards when you do that. Um, yeah, I agree in, in but, general. I, I mean, I kind of I had that awful thought, which you know, the impossible, the the impossible ending that will never happen, but might be better than what you get, is, what if they just got away? Right. I mean, I th- we... I actually have been thinking about that a lot, and I think that's the most interesting ending. I love the idea well, of John McClane saying he beat me. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I roll had that credits, thought, thought, man. It's not going to, it would never happen. The studio would never let it happen. I don't know if they even want that to happen. But it's by far the most interesting ending. But, uh, you know, I just had that thought of like, well, we flipped so many things on their head with this film in terms of like people's expectations, how movies have changed, how movies have got darker in terms of, of 
complexity and how we, you know, think about crime fighting, maybe you could pull it, you know, maybe we could pull it off. Mm-hmm. But um, on the other hand, you know, uh, it's it's just, it, I, I'm more object. It's like, this is a New York film. You take it out of New York, it might as well not be in the same film. No, yeah. I guess, so Germany is not going to help things. All right. Maybe if they, like, if they went back to L.A., that's about the only, <laughs> or or Washington Airport, or Dulles Airport, that's it. He catches them at that's Dulles. the only places they can go. Well, you know, in talking about this movie, you know, originally I had slated four the best, then three, then two. Five, of course, last. <laughs> Four, five. <laughs> and, and for me, it's because the one thing I really like about this movie is it really takes a big swing at doing something other than just being a police procedural. And it's the only film in the series to take a big swing at something as, as important as race. And race in America, you know, both at that time and and of course still today. But the second half of the movie, I, is... I completely agree with you. And you know, I would have less of a problem of it if it's if its flaws weren't concentrated in one half of the movie. Where yeah, you can I go, was just, you know, this is this is me. This is me absolutely nitpicking. Going well, the second half of this movie is is not all the problems are there. The, you know the the uh, so it looks like this movie's taken a nosedive. There's probably there's some good shit in comparison to two and four. There's probably the same amount of flaws. They're just even correct. Yeah, throughout the movie, <laughs> it's just easier to pick a on lot of the stuff on the boat. It was so good for so long. Yeah, a lot of the stuff on the boat I really like. I like that by the end that Zeus is so infested that he's like I can jump. <laughs> And the cop is like, you're insane. Like, no, that's a 50-foot drop. There, you know? There is a, I mean, you know, I think, I don't think you can, I don't think it's possible to do a bad um, two people being tied together in a movie scene. I just don't think it's, it, it, I don't think it, it could possibly happen. But this one is really good. This one is really good. There's the great bit with the, the locksmith where he says, can you pick the lock? It's like, what? Well, cause right. I'm black. Cause <laughs> like, I'm black. No, right. cause fucking locksmith. Great. Great. Um, yeah. So, so th- those racial dynamics are still at play. Yeah. And the chip and is still on his shoulder. 60 seconds before shelf. he's going to die. Yeah. And that is so true to Zeus. I, uh, by the way, I think Samuel L. Jackson, just fantastic like pitch perfect great in this movie he's so good he is so good and and i think well with both with both him and willis you know and this is why this movie in many ways grows for me over time and rather than recede as it does for most people is that um you know we're getting to there's only a few years before these guys will not be making good movies again (laughs) so this is real this is you know this is not as good as it gets but it's close yeah it's very close it's a good movie listeners you know i i love the fact that you know john mcclain can just fall into these double acts uh so well with virtually anyone right 
and that that when the character's working, it's when he is in these these pairings that are often interracial, and always about you know the brain brawn split. Brawn, yeah. And the ne- yeah. and I think I actually think the next one is the best one of those. I agree, and we're <laughs> going to talk about that dropping soon. Our next episode. What is it, Tom? Uh, depending on where you live in the world, it is um, live free and or uh, die hard, question mark, or not. No question mark. Live free or die hard. That's but what we're talking about. shouldn't there be a about. question mark there? No. I know there's not in the real New Hampshire slogan. I'm saying there actually it shouldn't be. Title, it's a statement. A live question? free or die hard. So it, that's just a statement. Yeah. Although, to be fair, somebody who would say that probably isn't wearing a mask right now, so they should go fuck themselves. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get into that. There are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of um, questions about citizenry in the next film coming up. There is indeed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for Die Hard with a Vengeance. If there's something we missed, something we overlooked, you let us know. Tell us what you think. Tell us how you rank them. How do you think about our rankings? Is this movie good or is it bad? Find us on Facebook, Instagram. Find us on the tweets. Let us know what you think. Thank you very much, Tom. Until next time, take care, everybody. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me.